0: Tiberius, Part Two, of the Lives of the Twelve Caesars by Gaius Suetonius Tranquillus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine. The Lives of the Twelve Caesars by Gaius Suetonius Tranquillus, translated by Alexander Thompson and edited by T. Forrester. Tiberius, Part 2 Upon his return to Rome, having introduced his son Drusus into the Forum, he immediately removed from Pompey's house in the Carinae to the gardens of Messianus on the Esquiline, and resigned himself entirely to his ease, performing only the common offices of civility in private life, without any preferment in the government. But Caius and Lucius being both carried off in the space of three years, he was adopted by Augustus along with their brother Agrippa, being obliged in the first place to adopt Germanicus, his brother's son. After his adoption, he never more acted as master of a family, nor exercised in the smallest degree the rights which he had lost by it. For he neither disposed of anything in the way of gift, nor manumitted a slave nor so much as received any estate left him by will, nor any legacy, without reckoning it as a part of his peculium or property held under his father. From that day forward nothing was omitted that might contribute to the advancement of his grandeur, and much more, when upon Agrippa being discarded and banished, it was evident that the hope of succession rested upon him alone. The tribunician authority was again conferred upon him for five years, and a commission given him to settle the affairs of Germany. The ambassadors of the Parthians, after having had an audience of Augustus, were ordered to apply to him likewise in his province. But on receiving intelligence of an insurrection in Illyricum, he went over to superintend the management of that new war, which proved the most serious of all the foreign wars since the Carthaginian. This he conducted during three years, with fifteen legions and an equal number of auxiliary forces, under great difficulties, and an extreme scarcity of corn. And though he was several times recalled, he nevertheless persisted, fearing lest an enemy so powerful, and so near, should fall upon the army in their retreat. This resolution was attended with good success for he at last reduced to complete subjection all illyricum lying between italy and the kingdom of noricum thrace macedonia the river danube and the adriatic gulf the glory he acquired by these successes received an increase from the conjecture in which they happened for almost about that very time quintilius varus was cut off with three legions in germany and it was generally believed that the victorious Germans would have joined the Pannonians had not the war in Illyricum been previously concluded. A triumph, therefore, besides many other great honours, was decreed him. Some proposed that the surname of Pannonicus, others that of Invincible, and others of Opius should be conferred on him. But Augustus interposed, engaging for him that he would be satisfied with that, to which he would succeed at his death. He postponed his triumph because the state was at that time under great affliction for the disaster of Varus and his army. Nevertheless he entered the city in a triumphal robe, crowned with laurel, and mounting a tribunal and the scepter, sat with Augustus between the two consuls, whilst the Senate gave their attendance standing, whence, After he had saluted the people, he was attended by them in procession to the several temples. Next year he went again to Germany, where, finding that the defeat of Varus was occasioned by the rashness and negligence of the commander, he thought proper to be guided in everything by the advice of a council of war, whereas, at other times, he used to follow the dictates of his own judgment, and considered himself alone as sufficiently qualified. For the direction of affairs, he likewise used more caution than usual. Having to pass the Rhine, he restricted the whole convoy with certain limits, and stationing himself on the bank of the river, would not suffer the wagons to cross the river until he had searched them at the water side to see that they carried nothing but what was as allowed or necessary. Beyond the Rhine, such was his way of living that he took his mails sitting on the bare ground and often passed the night without a tent, and his regular orders for the day, as well as those upon sudden emergencies, he gave in writing, with this injunction, that in case of any doubt, as to the meaning of them, they should apply to him for satisfaction, even at any hour of the night. He maintained the strictest discipline amongst the troops, reviving many old customs relative to punishing and degrading offenders setting a mark of disgrace even upon the commander of a legion, for sending a few soldiers with one of his freedmen across the river for the purpose of hunting. Though it was his desire to leave as little as possible in the power of fortune or accident, yet he always engaged the enemy with more confidence when, in his night-watches, the lamp failed and went out of itself, trusting, as he said, in an omen which had never failed him, and his ancestors in all their commands. But in the midst of victory he was very near being assassinated by some Bructarian, who, mixing with those about him, and being discovered by his trepidation, was put to the torture, and confessed the intended crime. After two years he returned from Germany to the city, and celebrated the triumph which he had deferred, attended by his lieutenants for whom he had procured the honor of triumphal ornaments. Before he turned to ascend the Capitol, he alighted from his chariot, and kneeled before his father, who sat by, to superintend the solemnity. Bato, the Pannonian chief, he sent to Ravenna, loaded with rich presents, in gratitude for his having suffered him and his army to retire from a position in which he had so enclosed them that they were entirely at his mercy. He afterwards gave the people a dinner at a thousand tables, besides thirty sesterces to each man. He likewise dedicated the temple of Concord, and that of Castor and Pollux, which had been erected out of the spoils of the war, in his own and his brother's name. A law having been not long after carried by the consuls for his being appointed a colleague with Augustus in the administration of the provinces, and in taking the census when that was finished he went into Illyricum, but being hastily recalled during his journey, he found Augustus alive indeed, but passed all hopes of recovery, and was with him in private a whole day. I know it is generally believed that upon Tiberius quitting the room, after their private conference, those who were in waiting overheard Augustus say, "Ah, oh, unhappy Roman people, to be ground by the jaws of such a slow devourer! Nor am I ignorant of its being reported by some that Augustus so openly and undisguisedly condemned the sourness of his temper that sometimes, upon his coming in, he would break off any jocular conversation in which he was engaged, and that he was only prevailed upon by the importunity of his wife to adopt him, or actuated by the ambitious view of recommending his own memory from a comparison with such a successor. Yet I must hold to this opinion that a prince, so extremely circumspect and prudent as he was, did nothing rashly, especially in an affair of so great importance, but that, upon weighing the vices and virtues of Tiberius with each other, he judged the latter to preponderate, and this the rather since he saw publicly in an assembly of the people, that he adopted him for the public good. Besides, in several of his letters, he extols him as a consummate general, and the only security of the Roman people. Of such declarations I subjoin the following instances. Farewell, my dear Tiberius, and may success attend you, whilst you are worrying for me and the muses. Farewell, my most dear, and as I hope to prosper, most gallant man, and accomplished general. Again, the disposition of your summer quarters In truth, my dear Tiberius, I do not think that amidst so many difficulties, and with an army so little disposed for action, any one could have behaved more prudently than you have done. All those likewise who were with you, acknowledge that this verse is applicable to you. Unus homo nobis vigilando restituitrem. One man by vigilance restored the state. Whenever he says anything happens that requires more than ordinary consideration, or I am out of humour upon any occasion, I still, by Hercules, long for my dear Tiberius, and those lines of Homer frequently occur to my thoughts. Tutuk hes pomennoyo kai puros ait homennoio, ampo nos epe perioide no esai. Bold from his prudence, I could even aspire to dare with him the burning rage of fire. When I hear and read that you are much impaired by the continued fatigues you undergo, may the gods confound me if my whole frame does not tremble. So I beg you to spare yourself, lest, if we should hear of your being ill, the news prove fatal both to me and your mother, and the Roman people should be in peril for the safety of the empire. It matters nothing whether I be well or no, if you be not well. I pray heaven preserve you for us, and bless you with health both now and ever, if the gods have any regard for the Roman people. He did not make the death of Augustus public until he had taken off young Agrippa. He was slain by a tribune who commanded his guard upon reading of written order for that purpose, respecting which order it was then doubt whether Augustus left in in his last moments, to prevent any occasion of public disturbance after his decease, or issued it, in the name of Augustus, and whether with the knowledge of Tiberius or not. When the tribune came to inform him that he had executed his command, he replied, I commanded you no such thing, and you must answer for it to the Senate, avoiding, as it seems, the odium of the act for that time, and the affair was soon buried in silence. Having summoned the senate to meet by virtue of his tribunician authority, and begun a mournful speech, he drew a deep sigh, as if unable to support himself under his affliction, and wishing that not his voice only, but his very breath of life, might fail him, gave his speech to his son Drusus to read. Augustus' will was then brought in, and read by a freedman, none of the witnesses to it being admitted, but such as were of the senatorian order the rest owning their handwriting without doors. The will began thus. Since my ill fortune has deprived me of two my two sons, Caius and Lucius, let Tiberius Caesar be heir to two-thirds of my estate. These words countenanced the suspicion of those who were of opinion that Tiberius was appointed successor more out of necessity than choice, since Augustus could not refrain from professing his will in that manner. Though he made no scruple to assume and exercise immediately the imperial authority by giving orders that he should be attended by the guards, who were the security and badge of the supreme power, yet he affected by a most impudent piece of acting to refuse it for a long time, one while sharply reprehending his friends who entreated him to accept it, as little knowing what a monster the government was, another, while keeping in suspense the Senate, when they implored him and threw themselves at his feet, by ambiguous answers and a crafty kind of dissimulation, insomuch that some were out of patience, and one cried out during the confusion, either let him accept it or decline it at once, and the second told him to his face. Others are slow to perform what they promise, but you are slow to promise what you actually perform. At last, as if forced to it, and complaining of the miserable and burdensome service imposed upon him, he accepted the government, not, however, without giving hopes of his resigning it some time or other. The exact words he used were these, And the time shall come when you may think it reasonable to give some rest to my old age. The cause of his long demur was fear of the dangers which threatened him on all hands, insomuch that he said, I have got a wolf by the ears. For a slave of Agrippas, Clemens by name, had drawn together a considerable force to revenge his master's death. Lucius Scribonius Libo, a senator of the First Distinction, was secretly fomenting a rebellion, and the troops both in Illyricum and Germany were mutinous. Both armies insisted upon high demands, particularly that their pay should be made equal to that of the praetorian guards. The army in Germany absolutely refused to acknowledge a prince, who was not their own choice, and urged, with all possible importunity, Germanicus, who commanded them, to take the government on himself, though he obstinately refused it. It was Tiberius' apprehension from this quarter which made him request the Senate to assign him some part only in the administration, such as they should judge proper, since no man could be sufficient for the whole without one or more to assist him. He pretended likewise to be in a bad state of health, that Germanicus might the more patiently wait, in hopes of speedily succeeding him, or at least of being admitted to be a colleague in the government. When the mutinies in the armies were suppressed, he got Clemens into his hands by stratagem. That he might not begin his reign by an act of severity, he did not call Libo to an account before the Senate until his second year, being content in the meantime with taking proper precautions for his own security. For upon Libo's attending a sacrifice amongst the high priests, instead of the usual knife, he ordered one of lead to be given him, and when he desired a private conference with him, He would not grant his request, but on condition that his son Drusus should be present, and as they walked together he held him fast by the right hand, under the pretense of leaning upon him, until the conversation was over. When he was delivered from his apprehensions, his behavior at first was unassuming, and he did not carry himself much above the level of a private person, and of the many and great honors offered him, he accepted but few and such as were very moderate. His birthday, which happened to fall at the time of the plebeian circensian games, he with difficulty suffered to be honoured, with the addition of only a single chariot drawn by two horses. He forbade temples, flamens, or priests to be appointed for him, as likewise the erection of any statues or effigies for him, without his permission, and this he granted only on condition that they should not be placed among the images of the gods, but only amongst the ornaments of houses. He also interposed to prevent the senate from swearing to maintain his acts, and the month September from being called Tiberius, and October being named after Livia. The praenomen likewise of emperor, with the cognomen of father of his country, and the civic crown in the vestibule of his house, he would not accept. He never used the name of Augustus, although he inherited it, in any of his letters, excepting those addressed to kings and princes. Nor had he more than three consulships, one for a few days, another for three months, and a third during his absence from the city until the Eads, 15th of May. He had such an aversion to flattery that he would never suffer any senator to approach his litter, as he passed the streets in it either to pay him a civility or upon business. And when a man of consular rank, in begging his pardon for some offence he had given him, attempted to fall at his feet, he started from him in such haste that he stumbled and fell. If any compliment was paid him, either in conversation or a set speech, he would not scruple to interrupt and reprimand the party, and alter what he had said. Being once called lord by some person, He desired that he might no more be affronted in that manner. When another, to excite veneration, called his occupation sacred, and the third had expressed himself thus, By your authority I have waited upon the Senate, he obliged them to change their phrases, in one of them adopting persuasion instead of authority, and in the other laborious instead of sacred. He remained unmoved at all the aspersions, scandals, reports, and lump which were spread against him or his relations, declaring, In a free state both the tongue and the mind ought to be free. Upon the Senate desiring that some notice might be taken of those offences, and the persons charged with them, he replied, We have not so much time upon our hands that we ought to involve ourselves in more business. If you once make an opening for such proceedings— you will soon have nothing else to do. All private quarrels will be brought before you under that pretense. There is also on record another sentence used by him in the Senate, which is far from assuming. If he speaks otherwise of me, I shall take care to behave in such a manner as to be able to give a good account both of my words and actions, and if he persists, I shall hate him in my turn. These things were so much the more remarkable in him, because, in the respect he paid to individuals, or the whole body of the Senate, he went beyond all bounds. Upon his differing with Quintus Haterius in the Senate House, "'Pardon me, sir,' he said, "'I beseech you, if I shall, as a senator, speak my mind very freely in opposition to you.' Afterwards, addressing the Senate in general, he said, "'Conscript fathers,' I have often said it both now and at other times that a good and useful prince, whom you have invested with in so great an absolute power, ought to be a slave to the Senate, to the whole body of the people, and often to individuals likewise. Nor am I sorry that I have said it. I have always found you good, kind, and indulgent masters, and still find you so. He likewise introduced a certain show of liberty by preserving to the senate and magistrates their former majesty and power. All affairs, whether of great or small importance, public or private, were laid before the senate, taxes and monopolies, the erecting or repairing edifices, levying and disbanding soldiers, the disposal of the legions and auxiliary forces in the provinces, the appointment of generals for the management of extraordinary wars, and the answers to letters from foreign princes, were all submitted to the senate he compelled the commander of a troop of horse who was accused of robbery attended with violence to plead his cause before the senate he never entered the senate house but unattended and being once brought thither in a litter because he was indisposed he dismissed his attendants at the door when some decrees were made contrary to his opinion he did not even make any complaint and though he saw that no magistrates after their nomination should be allowed to absent themselves from the city but reside in it constantly to receive their honours in person a praetor-elect obtained liberty to depart under the honorary title of a legate at large again when he proposed to the senate that the trebians might have leave granted them to divert some money which had been left them by will for the purpose of building a new theatre to that of making a road. He could not prevail to have the will of the testator set aside. And when, upon a division of the house, he went over to the minority, nobody followed him. All other things of a public nature were likewise transacted by the magistrates, and in the usual forms. The authority of the consuls remaining so great, that some ambassadors from Africa applied to them, and complained that they could not have their business dispatched by Caesar to whom they had been sent. And no wonder, since it was observed, that he used to rise up as the consuls approached and give them the way. He reprimanded some persons of consular rank in command of armies for not writing to the Senate on account of their proceedings, and for consulting him about the distribution of military rewards, as if they themselves had not a right to bestow them as they judged proper. He commended a praetor. Who, on entering office, revived an old custom of celebrating the memory of his ancestors in a speech to the people. He attended the corpses of some persons of distinction to the funeral pile. He displayed the same moderation with regard to persons and things of inferior consideration. The magistrates of Rhodes, having dispatched to him a letter on public business, which was not subscribed, he sent for them, and without giving them so much as one harsh word, desired them to subscribe it and so dismissed them diogenes the grammarian who used to hold public disquisitions, at rhodes every sabbath day once refused him admittance upon his coming to hear him out of course and sent him a message by a servant postponing his admission until the next seventh day diogenes afterwards coming to rome and waiting at his door to be allowed to pay his respects to him he sent him word to come again at the end of seven years. To some governors who advised him to load the provinces with taxes, he answered, It is the part of a good shepherd to shear and not flay his sheep. He assumed the sovereignty by slow degrees, and exercised it for a long time, with great variety of conduct, so generally with a due regard to the public good. At first he only interposed to prevent ill management. Accordingly, he rescinded some decrees of the Senate, and when the magistrate sat for the administration of justice, he frequently offered his service as assessor, either taking his place promiscuously among them, or seating himself in a corner of the tribunal. If a rumour prevailed that any person under prosecution was likely to be acquitted by his interest, he would suddenly make his appearance, and from the floor of the court— or the praetor's bench, remind the judges of the laws and of their oaths, and the nature of the charge brought before them. He likewise took upon himself the correction of public morals, where they tended to decay, either through neglect or evil custom. He reduced the expense of the plays and public spectacles by diminishing the allowances to actors and curtailing the number of gladiators. He made grievous complaints to the senate, that the price of Corinthian vessels was become enormous, and that three mullets had been sold for thirty thousand sesterces, upon which he proposed that a new sumptuary law should be enacted, that the butchers and other dealers in viands should be subject to an assize fixed by the Senate yearly, and the ideals commissioned to restrain eating-houses and taverns so far as not even to permit the sale of any kind of pastry and to encourage frugality in the public by his own example, he would often, at his solemn feasts, have at his tables victuals, which had been served up the day before, and were partly eaten, and half a boar affirming, it has all the same good bits that the whole had. He published an edict against the practice of people's kissing each other when they met, and would not allow New Year's gifts to be presented after the calends The 1st of January was passed. He had been in the habit of returning these offerings fourfold, and making them with his own hand, but being annoyed by the continual interruption to which he was exposed, during the whole month, by those who had not the opportunity of attending him on the festival, he returned none after that day. Married woman, guilty of adultery, though not prosecuted publicly, He authorized the nearest relations to punish by agreement among themselves, according to ancient custom. He discharged a Roman knight from the obligation of an oath he had taken, never to turn away his wife, and allowed him to divorce her upon her being caught in criminal intercourse with her son-in-law. Women of ill fame, divesting themselves of the rights and dignity of matrons, had now begun a practice of professing themselves prostitutes. To avoid the punishment of the laws, and the most profligate young men of the senatorian and equestrian orders, to secure themselves against the decree of the senate, which prohibited their performing on the stage or in the amphitheatre, voluntarily subjected themselves to an infamous sentence, by which they were degraded. All those he banished, that none for the future might evade by such artifices, the intention and efficacy of the law. He stripped the senator of the broad stripes on his robe, upon information of his having removed, to his gardens before the calends, the 1st of July, in order that he might afterwards hire a house cheaper in the city. He likewise dismissed another from the office of Questor for repudiating, the day after he had been lucky in drawing his lot, a wife whom he had married only the day before. He suppressed all foreign religions and the Egyptian and Jewish rites, obliging those who practised that kind of superstition to burn their vestments and all their sacred utensils. He distributed the Jewish youth under the pretense of military service among the provinces noted for an unhealthy climate, and dismissed from the city all the rest of that nation, as well as those who were proselytes to that religion. Under pain of slavery for life, unless they complied. He also expelled the astrologers, but upon their suing for pardon and promising to renounce their profession, he revoked his decree. End of Tiberius, part two.